Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing an article from the December issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Winter Tetany and Beef Cattle. To discuss this, I'm joined by the co-author, Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef System Specialist. Thanks for joining me today, Mary. Well, I appreciate you inviting me. Mary, the topic of our conversation today is winter tetany and beef cattle, and winter tetany or grass tetanies, those are just terms that we use for another condition called hypomagnesemia, and we don't, we don't say that very often. It's a little hard to say, but explain to us what hypomagnesemia is. So again, grass tetany or winter tetany, what triggers that, and what can we do from a management perspective to try to minimize the risk of it? Well, I think you know, the first thing people uh, probably already know, but when we talk about grass tetany or winter tetany, it, it's really just uh, low magnesium in the blood. And, and magnesium is really important for the nervous system of the animal and uh, really for their ability for their muscles to function. They can't actually have uh, good muscle uh, contractions without magnesium, including their heart, which uh, actually is usually why when you get so low, you can have death. So why do we get low magnesium uh, in the blood is a little bit different, I think, than a lot of people suspect. And it's not necessarily just because we have a low magnesium content in the forage. In this case, winter tetany, often we're talking about hay. And it's not really that we have a uh, a huge change in the amount of magnesium in hay, but sometimes we have situations where we harvest hay and we actually have high potassium. Um, so high potassium or high nitrogen or the combination of the two um, is what can cause uh, low magnesium because they both can interfere with absorption of magnesium. In this case, magnesium absorption actually happens in the rumen, which is a little different from most minerals but they actually cause that not to be able to be absorbed. So you could do a test on a hay and you look at the magnesium, you look at the requirement and you go, we're good. Uh, but you're not because you may have high potassium. So uh, for me, if I get around 2% potassium in that hay or in a forage source, I start thinking I need to up how much magnesium I provide. You can't overcome that lower absorption uh, by adding more magnesium. So that's, I think, why everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, it just must be low in magnesium. In fact, we have to feed a lot more than the requirement to get enough into them, into their body. A lot of it just ends up passing right through. So high potassium or high nitrogen or the combination uh, can cause uh, an issue with magnesium absorption. And the other one that's really important that a lot of people don't think about is we need sodium. So we need salt to be able to have that absorption. And so this is a point where we really need to make sure we are providing salt to the, to the cattle so that we get absorption of magnesium. Um, all forages are basically uh, sodium deficient. And so if we also have a situation where maybe we're not doing as good a job about providing salt, we can have this happen as well. So as we think about that, if we get a forage test back, and you mentioned if you see something that's above about 2% potassium, you start to think about, you know, maybe I need to think about supplementing some magnesium. What's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, how do you accomplish that in a way that you get that into the cows to make sure it's being effective? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the challenges with magnesium supplementation is that uh, the most common form or source of magnesium is magnesium oxide, and it happens to be bitter. And so it's not particularly palatable to cattle. Now we can overcome that, um, but I think it's one of the things that that's really important. It's actually one of the reasons why, like when you get those traditional recommendations about putting out high mag mineral 30 days before you turn out onto green grass, it's not really because you need to like build up stores of magnesium because you actually can't. That's one of the challenges, right? Is they have to have consistent intake. The reason why we talk about uh, feeding 30 days beforehand, uh, before you would have them have a situation where magnesium is going to be low is just to make sure they're actually eating enough magnesium that when they get into the situation uh, where the forage is actually low, that they're actually having the right intake. And so it allows you time to adjust. If, if you're providing, let's say a high mag mineral, and we talk about high mag minerals for a four ounce a day mineral, which is basically really all you can do uh, with a high mag mineral, you can't really get down to lower intakes because you can't get high enough concentrations and get the intake you need. Because uh, the higher the concentration of magnesium in there, the more bitter it is. So a four ounce a day mineral, we'd really be targeting like a 10 to 13% magnesium mineral. And that'd be uh, something where if they're not eating the four ounces, we could actually add something in to get it to be more palatable. So if you look at commercial high mag minerals, they often have something like molasses balls in there. Like, so if you read the ingredients, it'll say molasses, um, or they may just add uh, more byproducts into it. And a lot of times you'll read in the ingredients, it'll say something like grain byproduct. That'd be like distillers that actually just increases the palatability to get that four ounce intake. So if, if you're going out and buying a commercial mineral, um, often they've done a pretty good job of formulating to get the intake you're looking for. On the flip side, if, if you make your own custom mineral, or you mix your own mineral, or let's just say uh, you have custom mineral on hand and you're trying to make it high mag and you wanted to add magnesium oxide, you can do that. Um, we typically think about to get to that 10 to 13%, you'd need about uh, nine pounds of magnesium oxide per 50 pounds of a mineral mix. So you're adding quite a bit of magnesium oxide. So you can imagine if it's bitter, they don't want to eat it. Um, you're probably also going to have to add something to make it a little bit more palatable. So something like a pound of distillers or a pound of soybean meal, even a pound of uh, finely ground corn, just to make it a little bit more palatable and cause them to eat it. Um, so that's one way to do it. Challenge free choice minerals, right? Is they eat, uh, they eat it if they like it and, uh, say they need that salt and that salt drives them or they don't eat it and you'll have cows within a herd that'll be very variable. Um, so another way to do it would be right to per put it in a supplement that you're going to hand feed every day and that's uh, also an option if you're already going to be hand feeding something. So in that case you're looking at maybe like five pounds of mag ox for every hundred cows that you're feeding if that makes sense. So that will be diluted out depending on how much other ingredients you have, but you're trying to get the equivalent of about five pounds per hundred cows. 
So if I was feeding something like dry distiller's grains, let's say I was delivering two pounds a day of dry distiller's grains to these 100 cows, I had 200 pounds of dry distiller's grains. If I mixed five pounds of mag ox with that, again, need to make sure I get a good mix, but that would be another way to deliver it. Is that correct? That's exactly what I was saying. One of the things we've also talked about, uh, Mary, you and I, not during our conversation today, but other times is the fact that how important sodium or salt is with this as well, and not to provide salt separate from the mineral. If you're trying to increase the amount of magnesium, give a little more perspective on that, flesh that out for us in terms of why that's important. Right. So it seems a little counterintuitive because we talked, we just talked about the fact that sodium is really important for absorption of uh, magnesium. And so you want to get salt into them. But the truth is that if you're talking about, especially a free choice mineral that you're using as the carrier for that magnesium, you want to ensure you're getting intake of that free choice mineral. And salt is the main driver of intake in free choice minerals. So cattle actually are eating that free choice mineral because uh, they're craving the salt. And if you provide separate salt, they're likely to eat uh, more of that separate salt and not get the intake that you're looking for in the free choice mineral. So you don't wanna provide it separately. Salt is really your weapon to be able uh, to get the intakes you're looking for. You add uh, some salt and that drives intake if they're eating too much, you can add more salt and bring intake down, right? So if you don't, if you provide it separately, you've now gotten rid of your, your weapon, so to speak, to get the intake where you want it. Again, with Magox, sometimes even salt doesn't drive it enough. And that's when we add these other things in there just to make it a bit more palatable. One of the other things that was talked about in the article is looking at the hay test you have and then also looking to see if you do have hay that is high in magnesium and maybe feeding a combination of those hays together can alleviate the issue. Talk through with us just some things we might consider as we look at that as an option. Yeah, so um, as, as we were talking about with the, the high amounts of potassium uh, and actually low calcium is another one that can can kind of cause some problems uh, with magnesium absorption. But when we talk about that, uh, we're, you know, dilution is kind of the solution here from the standpoint of if I have a higher magnesium forage source and it's also not, of course, high potassium, then you kind of got two things that's going for you by adding that into the diet and maybe diluting out that higher potassium, lower magnesium hay because you're diluting the potassium and you're increasing the amount of magnesium. And so that's kind of a win-win. Um, but having a high magnesium hay, if it's also high potassium, still probably not going to overcome uh, our issue. And so we are going to have to force uh, more into that animal. So my, my thought process is, is if I have hays and I have my tests and I have some that are high potassium and I have some that are low potassium, you know, doing something where you're mixing that 50-50 in the diet in one way or another, that actually can, can work quite well, but it's all about getting that potassium level down in the rumen. Anything else on this you'd like to highlight, Mary, as we point towards wrapping this up? Well, I, I think a lot of people, 
don't typically have problems with winter tetany. And so they may kind of dismiss this. And I think it's important to understand that the growing conditions are important for whether or not this is going to be a factor. And this year um, with the drought, uh, we had a lot of more uh, higher potassium haze kind of floating around. And so it's probably worth going and testing, even if you've never had a problem with winter tetany before. Oh, I think that's a great point, Mary. And I've had some conversations this fall with a couple producers uh, looking at their hay test and some scenarios where some hay was just fine, but there was also some hay that was pretty high in potassium, you know, over two, two and a half percent. And again, I think that's a great example of not usually a problem, but under certain conditions can be. And where a little bit of money spent on a hay test and looking at that could prevent an issue. Right. We'd, we'd rather have all of the cows uh, survive and, and not have a situation where you, you see the result and then realize you have a problem. What's that saying? An ounce of prevention is a, worth a pound of cure, I guess. So. For sure, Aaron. All right. Thanks again for joining me today, Mary. Yeah, no problem. For more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. Again, the title of the article, Winter Tetany in Beef Cattle.